KFOR Radio 710, the talk of New York. slippers, and uh, I like to have a matching pipe and slippers, that's a little, a little elegance, and I have this uh, bunny fur smoking jacket that I wear that has ears on the back, little claws down on the cuffs, it's kind of nice, well a man has to have style in his life, don't you agree, Corny? All right, style and nice women, a little wine now and again, that's what it's about, that's it. get underway, I'd like to uh, take this opportunity to uh, salute British style, which uh, I've always found uh, a little more elegant than ours. Let's face it. I mean, uh, uh, that's the difference, really, between America and England is style. I mean, we got a lot of loud mouths, but uh, they got a lot of style, you know? (laughs) Oh, trail of God. You agree with that, don't you? A little bit there, Corey. You've been down there in the islands. They do it right. When a Britisher wears a pair of tropical shorts, he wears them the way they should be worn. When American wears a set of tropical shorts, it looks always like he's just uh, just the slightest bit like he's wearing his jockeys. Uh, and they hang down in the wrong places. It's just, it's a matter of style. It really is. And I would like to salute British crime, which has style, too. It's uh, really elegant. A uh, little incident happened in Hove, England. This, now, I don't know whether you know about Hove, England, but Hove, England... Hove, England. It's a lovely little town. It's got, uh, uh, it's got uh, uh, cottages, a few thatched roofs. There's a few elegant uh, Gothic spires in the distance. It's uh, soft, quiet light uh, in the long uh, evenings in summer, and, and uh, there's a kind of Dickensian quality about it in winter. So if you've never been to Hove, I have actually been there. We'd like to salute a little incident that occurred in Hove, where style is of the essence. Taxi driver John Horton, 72. Now, that in itself has a certain style. 72. Can't you see him being played by Sir Aubrey uh, Smith or or uh, Cedric Hardwick, uh, one of the more elegant English amateurs? <laughs> you know, uh, I, I one time sat through an entire afternoon in the 
in the uh, British theater one one uh, great afternoon of my life with an Englishman. And we were watching a play starring an English actor, famous English actor, named Sir Hugh Griffith. You've heard of him? Well, uh, at uh, first, when the play opened up, the curtain went up, and, and uh, one of the great things about the English theater, of course, is you can take a finger of brandy down into the audience and sit there and sip brandy while the play is going. It's that style. It really is. We have this awful orange drink that is served in American theaters, which bears no relationship to orange, nor even a drink. Which, uh, uh, I don't know where that was invented. It certainly didn't come out of the head. That was not created by the hand of God. No way. That was created by the hand of Schubert, I think, somewhere along the line. But uh, nevertheless, I'm sitting in the, in the, uh, in the tears there and uh, enjoying a little, uh, one of my favorite scotches. I'm not a scotch man, but there are some really elegant scotch. Checkers. An elegant scotch. Checkers. Oh, yes. You've never heard of it, have you? Well, that's because it's 1750 a, a fifth. So that kind you just wouldn't see down at the cut-rate Sakatuam liquor shop. No way. Uh, this is uh, not exactly Thunderbird. So I'm sitting there having a <laughs> having a finger and a half of this elegant scotch and uh, sipping it uh, uh, with as much style as I can muster up, considering the fact I come from Indiana. And uh, this gentleman sitting next to me, of course, was an Englishman. And uh, and the play opened up, the, the curtain went up, and the thing about the British theater, almost everything hangs out. And that's what gives it its its special quality. You can hear the curtain going up. You can hear creaks of pulleys. The curtain, you know you're in the theater, you know. There's no pretense that, that we're having a slice of existence in life. Uh, this is the, you know, the Noel Coward world. And the thing goes right up. It stops at the top. And uh, you could hear the, the weights thump when, when it stopped. And a uh, little dust raises from the stage where British thespians have been treading upon the board since just after uh, Sir Francis Bacon stopped writing. And uh, there's that quality in the air. And elderly ladies were sitting all around me, and tall, thin ladies, uh, ladies of, uh, of, a, of a certain age, as the French say, of which you see many in the British theater. Uh, <laughs> I like that phrase, ladies of a certain age. Uh, what is a certain age? Well, that's style, you know. Ladies of a certain age. And uh, I'm having my scotch. Well, the opening line was uh, spoken by, uh, by the actor, Mr. Griffith, who came out uh, from, the, from the wings, and he, he staggered on stage. He was supposed to be a general. And uh, he was uh, wearing his old general, a retired general, I might add, and he's in his country home. Now, that's something that the English specialize in, a thing called the country home. You understand that, too, Carnegie, the country home. It's not the same as your pad out in Fire Island. No way. Uh, a country home <laughs> also has a kind of wonderful decayed elegance, especially seen in the British theater, because there's a, they always have this yellowish light that comes in through what looks like a rose trellis. Off, just off stage through the window, you see it, and it's a classical set. And there's a there's a thing called a chiffonier. Uh, there's also a, a curious piece of furniture known as a buffet, yeah, a buffet, with it with a uh, with a large mirror over it, and uh, some some what appears to be potted peonies uh, that are made of wax. 
And so <laughs> Sir Griffith walks out on the stage and he goes, Oh, and at that point, I said, wait a minute, I'm, I'll get used to the accent is the way I said I thought, well, I'll get used to the delivery, see. And he goes, and with that, the, the butler comes out, and this is part of the English country houses. Uh, there's always a butler, and there's a maid. And the butler comes out, and he answers the general, Mr. Sir Hugh Griffith, uh, playing a general. He, he answers him, and he's carrying a tray. A lot of tray carrying is done in English uh, English plays. The tray is a very important prop, uh, a silver tray, almost always, uh, with a couple of silver-like utensils on it, uh, usually a thing that something pours out of, and a few silver goblets. And the <laughs> the, uh, the tall, thin uh, butler answered Mr. Griffith, with the following line, what you show, what you have to what you have to Well, I, I said, yeah. and it, with that, the audience sort of chuckled. And uh, uh, then Griffith answered it by going, Well, this continued for three acts. And, uh, and deep into the third act, I, I finally had to say it. I leaned to my Englishman friend sitting next to me and I said, excuse me, Cyril. And he says, yes. I said, Cyril, what the hell is he saying? He says, well, I don't know, really, but it's quite amusing, isn't it? And I said, well, I see, nobody in the audience could understand him either. Which gave me a sense of real belonging at that, that point, that, there, that there's a certain uh, kind of English actor that comes on stage with a mouthful of cream of wheat and uh, he speaks through the haze of cream of wheat with great authority and much <laughs> a lot of harumping. <laughs> Once in a while you'd get one word, a phrase maybe, like, <laughs> you knew he was talking English or speaking English. And so that was enough. And the evening and the afternoon wore on and it was raining outside in London and that you could hear off in the distance the occasional honk of a horn of a cab and it was just one of those great afternoons in the London theater. And uh, you don't have to understand it. That's not the point, not to understand. The point is to be. And in Hove, England, uh, we must salute this uh, incident. that occurred. It fits right in with that. Taxi driver John Horton. That's the name. Uh, Jonathan Horton. My age is, of course, none of your business. But if you're a bobby, I must answer, it is 72 summers. John Horton. Uh, anyway, he called police. Well, they're not called police in England. Uh, they're called the constabulary, which has a much better swing to it. Uh, the constabulary. For example, you go to Jamaica, and the constabulary are the most elegantly dressed men on the island. Do you agree? Oh, you see a man directing traffic in uh, Montego Bay, and you've seen style. Do you agree? Elegant. And uh, that shirt is so sharp, so fantastic. The, the, those striped ones especially. The <laughs> well, nevertheless, the, he called the constabulary to complain that he took... Uh, a, 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 he was complaining about a fare that he took on a four-mile round trip to a Brighton post office, and the fare ran away without compensation. He did not pay. Well, that's not a story. 
fare runs away without paying. The story is a little deeper than that. It wasn't as though the fare didn't have money. In fact, uh, Mr. Horton, the cab driver, said that the passenger had instructed Mr. Horton, he says, will you please pull up to this building for one minute? I will be out in exactly 60 seconds, and then we must be off post-haste. So keep your engine, keep your motor running. At that point, he rushed into the post office, returned in 58 seconds, jumped back into the cab. They went around the corner. He leaped out and disappeared. And what bugged him was the fact that the fare had just robbed the post office of $1,200. And when later asked uh, who he looked like, he said, Well, that young chap in the movies, what's his name? Uh, Guinness. He looked a little like that man Guinness. <laughs> Oh, the hollow laughter of the gods. That young chap in the movies, what's his name? Uh, 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 he's named after the stout, uh, Guinness, I believe. Yes, Alec Guinness his name. <laughs> I like to think that it was Alec Guinness out on a weekend, getting into a role, you know. A little hollow laughter. <laughs> I'm doing this... Oh, incidentally, this is being done as a public service on the part of this vast and deeply concerned media of expression here. That the world doesn't laugh much. And that we're giving you 60 seconds of public service laughter. Just turn the gain up and let it float out through the living room there, through the car seat there, drift out over the turnpike as you drive along. They'll think that you saw something funny in life. <laughs> yeah. Oh, come on, will you? <laughs> come on, quit tickling me. <laughs> hold it, hold it. That's enough public service for tonight. This is W.O.Y. in New York, the Big Apple. Uh, how much does this new car cost? Oh, right. Including whitewalls? Oh. Uh, tinted glass? Reclining buckets? Disc brakes? Well, uh, how about electric rear window seats? The true cost of a new car is what you pay for it the way you want it, not stripped. The Datsun 610 Luxury Economy Car comes with all those extra standards. Things other cars charge extra Plus full carpeting, electric clock, center console box, and lots more. The Datsun 610 delivers great gas mileage, low maintenance, and high resale value, too. Take a test drive in the Datsun 610 four-door sedan, two-door hardtop, five-door wagon. Compare costs. True cost. You'll discover the Dodson 610 is a bigger bargain than you thought. Yeah, test drive this little Dodson. Get down to your Dodson dealer in New Jersey, Connecticut, or New York. Uh, Dodson, find out how much they cost. The real cost. Of course, one never knows the real cost of anything. Uh, only fate knows that. And the wheels of fate. <laughs> it's the rolling cap. It's coming. Oh, I'm sorry. You don't laugh about that, do you? No, sir. Uh, speaking of uh, New York, and this is New York. Uh, what is more New York than Madison Square Garden? And what is more New York in Madison Square Garden than to go see a fight in Madison Square Garden flashed on a screen? That's purely New York, right? 
Absolutely. An action-packed evening of heavyweight history is in store for boxing fans at Madison Square Garden, Tuesday, the 29th of October. See the fight that you have been waiting for, Muhammad Ali versus George Foreman, for the heavyweight championship of the world, live and in color, direct from Zaire, Africa, on four giant screens. And uh, they're going to have a prelim, too, a 45-minute film highlight of the 28 greatest heavyweight championship fights of all time. Only at the Garden can you see this. Get a ringside seat for the closed-circuit coverage of the Ali Foreman fight, plus a chance to see nearly 100 years of heavyweight title fights. You know, that could give you a fantastic time war problem. I mean, do you, do you realize what, what, a, what a science fiction concept this is? You're watching a fight, <laughs> and you see 100 years of ones before that. That's like, uh, you know, that's like being a participant in D-Day. And as you go to D-Day, they're flashing on screens scenes from the Battle of Waterloo and uh, the Siege of Moscow, you know, and the Punic War is a fantastic uh, time warp concept. But anyway, it's going to be an unforgettable fight night of the year, and the tickets are on sale for, get this, $30, $25, and $20 at the Garden Box Office and the Ticketron outlets everywhere. The action starts at 8.45 p.m., of course. See the Ali Foreman fight going to be something. That's the 29th, and the only place you can see it is at the garden. Speaking of the garden, we have another garden bit here. Uh, action-packed five fights night at Madison Square Garden Friday the 25th. These are a big thing on fights these days. In the featured 10-round event, WBC heavyweight champion Rodrigo Valdez will face unbeaten Vinnie Curto in an important non-title bout. Valdez has won his last 21 straight fights, including Straight fights, do they mean honest ones? Oh, oh, I see what they mean. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. He's won his last 21 straight fights, including 19 by knockouts. And Curto is undefeated in 16 uh, fights, so it's going to be a battle of giants. Also scheduled for four-round fights, including the Jewish bomber Mike Rossman versus Irish Mike Morgan. And nondescript light heavyweight... Gee, his name, he doesn't even have a nationality. That's sad. Uh, nevertheless, they're going to be fighting, and it's going to be exciting. Tickets are on sale for 15, 10, and 8 at the Garden Box Office and a Ticketron. A five fights in one night event, October 25th, 8 p.m. at the Garden. Listen, I know a bar where you sometimes get up towards a 10 or 15, and it's free. Uh, price of a beer, you know. Probably get a potato chip jar jump, bounced off your head, but you know that you get right there in the middle of it all, right? <laughs> Yeah, you want to want an address of that bar? They ought to charge. They ought to charge admission to some bars. I know. You know, come in and watch them fight. It begins at nine. <laughs> when all the guys come home from work, you know, they put their hard hats at home on top of the refrigerator and go out. Oh, well, I'm going out for a drink, Mabel. You know, three weeks later he comes back with only one eye. Powerful liquor. Powerful. All right, let's see. We've uh, done that a little bit. Uh, how about, uh, what do you got in there? You got a goodie for us? Thank you. I'm Fran Allison. On nights when you have trouble falling asleep, what are some of the things you do to help? Well, I sleep with my head at the other end of the bed. Sometimes that helps. I eat. <laughs> <laughs> I do relaxing exercises, starting with my toes, and I'm usually asleep before I reach my shoulders. On those occasional nights when you have trouble falling asleep and exercise and counting sheep just don't seem to work, try Compose. Compose simply relaxes and unwinds you so your body is able to fall asleep more easily. 
Of course, by falling asleep more easily, you're going to feel better the next morning. So take compose on those occasional nights when you have trouble sleeping. If you're not satisfied in any way with compose, mail compose the box top and they'll send you double your money back. Remember, the more easily you fall asleep, the better you feel the next morning. Compose. Use only as directed. It's guaranteed. Here is Assemblywoman Constance Cook. Women received a big boost in their battle for equal rights in 1974 under the vigorous leadership of Governor Wilson. One of the most important achievements was the elimination of discrimination against women in obtaining credit at stores and banks for mortgages, buying a car, or any other transaction requiring the borrowing of money. The New York Times called Governor Wilson's credit law one of the toughest anti-discrimination laws in the country. Governor Wilson also signed a law making it easier to prosecute rape cases. He has directed all state agencies to vigorously combat discrimination in any area against women and to explore ways to improve employment opportunities. This year also marked the first passage of the New York State Equal Rights Amendment. Women in New York have every reason to be proud of the important advances they have made under Republican leadership towards their goal of equality. Elect Governor Wilson, Governor. Paid for by the friends of the Governor Wilson team. Very nice, yes. They paid, too. We're very delighted with that. The cash register rings over here in the corner. You know, uh, <laughs> I don't know. You know, uh, that reminds me, you know, talking about these fights here. I've never, I've never discussed one of the great... Never told you the story of one of the great, sad, totally educational evenings that I once spent with my old man at a fight. It was the only time I ever went to a fight when I was a kid. I mean, you know, a real fight. Oh, they had plenty of fights at the Warren G. Harding School, but uh, that was a different kind. You know, there was a lot of bloody noses. Well, listen, I, 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 I myself participated in several fights. I wonder how many of you were ever brought up before the head of your school for fighting. Were you, Mark? Were you? I can't believe it. Were you? You're such an elegant person. No, I mean for fighting. And 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 uh, it was it was at that that moment when I was brought up for fighting and and how the fight broke out. Fights break out almost like spontaneous combustion. A fight is not a premeditated thing, although I suspect uh, uh, there you know there's a long history before the actual fight that. Uh, that uh, has to be uh, has to be faced, but uh, the 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 day that that I had this fight with this guy, it was his name was Harold Dill, and uh, it's it's it was just just a, you know it was a nightmare scene uh, that that we were out there messing around. It was a recess scene, and uh, I was uh, I I guess I was in fifth grade at the time. Yeah, it was fifth grade as a matter of fact, Miss Robinette, because I remember her taking me and Dill down through the halls right to the head lady. We had a principal who was a lady, and uh, Miss Norton, and uh, I, I, I went down. <laughs> How the fight started, we were out there messing around, and uh, Schwartz and all of us were out there. You know, there's certain kinds of kids that are just by nature peace-loving. Then there's other kind of kids that are peace-hating. And then there's an in-between kid who is buffeted between the two. Uh, it's the in-between kid that gets killed in all the wars. The peace lover winds up doing two years in some place up in Toronto growing radishes. The peace lover becomes a general. The war lover becomes a general. It's the in-between guy that gets getting this. He gets it in the second wave uh, coming up on some crazy island someplace. Well, 
<laughs> I was, I was, you know, I was in between. Well, now you just saw recently there was a fight uh, in the in the recent baseball season between two baseball stars of the Oakland A's. Who got hurt? It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't. Uh, uh, Bill, what was his name? Uh, the guy that fought with Reggie Jackson. No, it wasn't Blue Moon Odom, was it? Was it Blue Moon? No, that was a later flight fight. Blue Moon Odom and Raleigh Fingers had a fight. You know, it takes a lot of guts to fight a guy that has uh, waxed mustaches that curl. I mean, you know. Uh, <laughs> no, that was a, this was an earlier fight, early in the season, that Reggie Jackson and a, and a fellow outfielder, Bill something, uh, what was his name? Huh? No, I don't recall his name. He played in the series... But he was not. A, he's not really particularly a star. But uh, he and and no two outfielders, and and he and Reggie had this fantastic fight. But who got who got uh, hurt in the fight? Yeah, that's right. Some poor guy tried to break it up and wound up with a busted shoulder. And later, when he was asked about it, what did Reggie Jackson say about it? Did he was he sorry? He says nobody asked him to get in it. That was his answer to that. <laughs> he was out for the season. Well. This is what happens. I was, you know, I was messing around with Schwartz and Flick and those guys. And uh, and uh, there was Harold Dill over there. Well, Harold Dill was a notorious crowd pusher around there. He, uh, he, was, he was, let's say, a peace hater. He was not a war lover. That's not the same. He was a peace hater. He did not like to see peace uh, at any point. Uh, he, he was a troublemaker. You know that great phrase, a troublemaker? They don't use that anymore. You know, there's certain guys that just in public life are troublemakers. Oh, absolutely. Troublemaker. You're a troublemaker, you know. <laughs> well, Harold Dill was a born troublemaker, and he was, uh, he was a born bully. Actually, he was a toady to a really first-class bully who goes beyond all concept of any bully I ever knew. Farkas. Did you ever hear of Scott Farkas? His, his name is already... It's famous all the, way, all the way out to the East Coast. Well, I went to school with Scott Farkas. That's like saying you went to school with Beowulf, you know. I mean, he was—he was the ultimate, uh, and, and and Harold Dill was his toady. Now, see, you make a mistake in thinking a toady is a coward. That a toady, quite often, is merely—let's put it this way—a runner-up. <laughs> I mean, if you start pushing around the Godfather's best friend, you're going to get in a lot of trouble. Not necessarily from the Godfather, even, but from the best friend. Oh, and uh, so I'm out there messing around. With, out on the, you know, out on the playground. Now, this is something that happens to males. I suspect more than females. It's, it, it, I, 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 you know, there are a lot of female fights around. I suppose, but uh, not with the frequency of a male fight. Now, this is just a very, uh, very uh, empirical uh, judgment. Uh, their fights may be much closer and more in, uh, much more deal with words and angry, rotten things. But the, the male fight is usually often very physical. And so I'm messing around out there. I'm in fifth grade, you know. And uh, there's, a, there's a just stuff going on. All of a sudden, there's a big uproar breaks out over by the swings. And, uh, you know, you've been out on recess. You've had recess. You know, they had the swings and that. There's a big uproar breaks out on the swings. And uh, a lot of people yell, a lot of kids yelling, and everybody running around. And who is down on the ground being pummeled into uh, into uh, <laughs> into Rice Krispies. He's being made into his component parts, but Bobby Twyman. Well, now, Bobby Twyman uh, later turned out to be a famed historian and a professor at Indiana 
University, later the University of Chicago. He was already uh, well on his way, see. So Bobby Twyman was just giving uh, Harold Dill an afternoon's workout. He just felt that he had to, you know, hit somebody, and there was Twyman. And it was the thick glasses, I think, that made Dill mad at Twyman. Glasses often cause the, the bile of a bully to rise to the surface. I mean, using such phrases as, Hey, Four Eyes! You've heard that expression many times, right? Hey, hey, uh, your blind is a bad Four Eyes! <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's a, something about glasses that, uh, that uh, engender a certain hatred. Uh, you've seen it on, on school grounds, haven't you? Now, I don't know why this is so. Maybe it's a, it's a, uh, possibly signifies weakness. You can't see. Four eyes. Well, there was, there was uh, poor old Bobby down on the ground. Who, by the way, Bobby, in the, in the fifth grade, was already six feet seven. He was built along the lines of an early John Schlesinger. You know, he was six feet seven. Whereas, on the other hand, Harold Dill was five feet two, but made out of solid suet. Now, if you can imagine suet covered with stubble. Right, he had he had a crew cut all over. He he was he was furry. Uh, Dill, and he had yellow eyes. He had these he had these narrow yellow eyes, and his nose was always running a little bit. And he would he would blow his nose in the sleeve of his of his jacket all the time. Now that that uh, and and he spit. He was the most fantastic spitter. Uh, Harold Dill could spit all the way up to the second floor windows at the school. <laughs> you know, up there, bang! And tremendous control. He, a little tiny wad of white saliva. You know, like a BB. <laughs> you just lay it out. You know, the only other great spitter I've seen in recent years. Is a, is a player who played for the Mets. I used to wait for him when he'd come up. Every time he'd come up, because his spitting was, an, was, a, was really something to watch. He'd walk up to the plate, and he'd go, and you'd just see this little tiny pellet go whistling out maybe 20 or 30 feet down the first baseline. Just fantastic. Against the wind, you know, I never could believe it. it Tommy Agee. Agee was a magnificent spitter, which is not the same as the, uh, the tobacco juice spitter. That's something else. That's just pure... Quantity. I like quality. You know, you get that, that, that nice little pellet, bang, you know. Well, Dill was a great spitter. He had all the talents. I mean, he could spit, uh, and uh, he was he was a tremendous butter, you know. You've ever seen a guy that could put his head down and just, bam, you know, butt. Had a battering ram for a head. So we're out there messing around. All of a sudden, this fight breaks out, and there is, there is <laughs> Harold Dill. Has got Bobby Twyman stretched out, and he is working him up from the bottom up. He is just pounding him from the ankles all the way on up, and he was working up towards the ears, you know. And he was, he was, he was. It was like it was like seeing a guy getting gored by a small angry rhinoceros in the rutting season. And they, he's just working him over. See, well, I walk over there. See, <laughs> I just walk over, and I'm in the crowd, and the crowd is pushing in. See, and the next thing you know, the crowd pushes in. And I topple over, and I land on top of Dill. I was enjoying this uh, sight, you see. I was not about to be a peacemaker. And uh, I fall over on Dill. With that, Dill turns. He figures that one of one of uh, Bobby Twyman's friends has now pitched in, see, which is what he wanted. You know, he, he wasn't getting anything out of Twyman. You know, he was like, you know, fighting a wet noodle. There was nothing happening. And when you, when you fight, you want a little fight back, you know. I mean, when you go fishing, you want the fish to fight, don't you? You don't want to just lay on the end of the hook and come in. You come on, okay, pull me in, it's okay, you know. 
Twyman was just laying there. You know, he was an early Gandhi. Go, go, kill me if you will. Kill me, I am a future historian. Go, you know, and he's pounding the hell out of him. Well, at that point, I toppled over. See, and I, it, you know, it's just like falling into a wearing blender. It was terrible. Uh, with that, <laughs> yeah, the old, the old turn, oh, are you, you, what are you, what are you, what do you think you are? And the next thing I know, me and Dill now are rolling on the ground. Well, I wasn't Twyman, remember. I was not Twyman at all. I was known, you know, as fairly agile in my set. And I was a notorious tripper. My my talent was tripping. I I, I love to trip guys. You know, there are certain guys that uh, when you're sitting in the back of the room, which is what I was always sitting in, you know, because my name began with S, uh, when when uh, when somebody was called on, my one of my famous witticisms was as the guy is walking up to walk up the aisle to go up to the board, like a snake, my right foot would stick out and would trip him. He'd fall heavily, and I'd sit innocently. See, <laughs> that's witty, isn't it? I mean, it really that really's got a lot of style, you know. And I was a great tripper, so uh, I was not known. Uh, I was not at all in the Bobby Twyman league. Uh, but I was, on the other hand, not necessarily in the Harold Dill League either, see, because there were certain things you just didn't do. You didn't take on Harold Dill. He took you on. That's the way it went. So I am rolling around. Dill, of course, is enraged to think that I would take him on. I would fight him, you know. It seemed that I had attacked Dill. I mean, you know, that's like just some ordinary citizen walking down the street, you know, across the street. He sees, uh, he sees uh, uh, tough Tony Anastasia, you know. He says, hey, Mabel, that's tough Tony Anastasia. I've seen him in the pictures. In the you know, i seen him in the newsreel. You know him? He was the guy in the newspaper, that tough Tony. You remember Tony Anastasia? Hey, I'm going to go over and take him on. Well, <laughs> I mean, well, well it, there was a brief flurry, a brief exchange of grunts and butts, and I got a shot, I want to tell you. He butted me right below the clavicle. And, and it's a very, it's a fantastic shot right here. It still hurts once in a while, Corny, you know. This guy had a head about like a bowling ball with fur on it. And boom, I get a shot. And I, I, and I remember hitting him on the top of the head when he hit me. I hit him on the top of the head. Well, now I was carrying a baseball. Well, I clopped him on the top of the head. Well, that bellow of rage. He rolls over, and the two of us are rolling around in a crowd. He says, yeah, you hit me with a ball. You hit me with a ball. I said, well, you butted me. And it was bam, bam. We're hitting each other, rolling. People are cheering. And it was all over that quick. Miss Shields, who was the second grade teacher, was the guard that day out at recess. You know, they always assign a teacher to get out there and make sure that, the, you know, nobody pulls a knife or throws a hand grenade into the gym or anything like that, see. So she, she's in there kicking and fighting, and the two of us are apart, see. Well, it was it was a terrible scene, because here we were, we, she pulls us apart, and I'm swinging wildly at, at Dill, and I swing, I, I hit the shields. Well, I don't know whether you ever hit your teacher. Well, at, at that point, there's a dead silence falls. <laughs> Shepard hit the shields. And Miss Shields is standing here, her glasses are on crooked, and, and you know, she, she's, you, you hit me, you hit me, all right, both of you are coming in right now, you're coming into the office, and she's got Bill by the back of that blue, he always wore these blue work shirts, and he had to wear blue work shirts all the time, she grabs him by the back of blue work shirts, grabs me by my jacket, and we are being pushed right through that hall, man. And Dill is on one side of her, I'm on the other side, and we get in front of Miss Norton's office. She says, she, she opens the door, she says, Miss Norton, 
Miss Norton is a very elegant lady. She's the principal. Miss Norton, these two were fighting, and this one struck me. Well, I'm standing there, and all of a sudden it hit me. What I had done, I hit Miss Shields. I hit her out there in front of 500 kids. Well, Dill is, is saying nothing. He's been up before charges many times. I mean, Dill is an old veteran. You can tell the old veteran when he's dragged up before the bar of justice, you know, he just stands there. His eyes have absolutely no emotion whatsoever. And so she says, aren't you ashamed of yourself? Miss, Miss Norton says, this is terrible, fighting out there. And now somebody has hurt Miss Shields, and I'm going to find out who started this. With that, Dill, see again, he was experienced. Dill knew when to say it. He said, he done it, he started it. At that point, Miss Norton turns to me, and I just went black. I just went black. I just reached over Miss Shields and hit Dill right in the gut. Just bam! Right in the gut. I socked him. And at that, the crumb, he was acting. He fell down and rolled around on the floor. Oh, he hit me. Oh, he hit me. Oh, that bump. This guy could have walked right through the brick wall. Oh, he hit me. Oh, Dill is crying on the floor. Oh, 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 he hit me. He started it. He started it. Oh. I stood there. Miss Shields has got me by the back of the neck. She says, yes, he hit poor Harold, and then he hit me. I hit Harold. I hit Miss Shields. And Miss Norton says, all right, it's time now for me to take some action. You've been a troublemaker here all along. And at that point, Dill, being an experienced witness, hollered, oh, he's been after me. He hits me all the time. Oh, oh God. Oh, God, I could hear kids outside of the office. You could hear them talking. Oh, it was, you know, the big yelling and the hollering. There I was. I was a defendant in the dock. And not only that, I was guilty. It was as if I suddenly found myself changed from Walter Mitty. And I had become King Kong. I was madder and madder. And then it happened. The first time that I knew the taste, the bitter, acrid taste of total disgrace. The current issue of TV Guide magazine takes a look at the upcoming elections. In the aftermath of the recent upheaval in politics, interest is running high. How will TV cover the contests? And what are the results likely to tell us? It's a report you'll want to read. In the same issue, TV Guide claims that there's more to being a TV director than saying action with authority. It takes an eye for detail and a knack for cutting costs. And most of the work is done before the cameras roll. Don't miss this profile of the man who sits in the director's chair. This week, TV Guide's cover story talks to Will Gear of the Waltons, who has spent more than 50 years appearing on riverboats and in tent shows, movies, and television. But it took the Waltons to make him a national celebrity. His recollections make good reading this week in TV Guide. America's biggest-selling magazine, TV Guide, on sale everywhere. All right, class, it's time for your singing lesson. Someday you'll own. That's nice. Someday you'll own. Very good. Sooner or later, you'll own generals. Very, very good. So, class, whether you drive a sports car, sedan, compact, scooter, Irish mail, limousine, 
General Tire has the tires you need at prices that even you, poor, sad, defeated you, can afford. Choose from steel-belted tires, glass-belted tires, wide-raised white-letter tires, all belt, built to General's exciting and exacting standards. They're magnificent. So drop into your General Tire headquarters. They'll show you why sooner or later you'll own Generals. In Plainfield, yes, it's the General Tire Service on Front Street. And sing it again, gang. Come on, please. Sooner or later you'll own Generals. When drains clog in kitchen, bath, or laundry, call Roto-Rooter. Call Roto-Rooter. That's the name. That's the way you'll trouble down the drain. First of all, I was sold on the car as soon as I took a test drive. New York, and I'm Lee Hunt, talking with Alfa Romeo owners. On a cross-country tour, Barry Smith is a jewelry salesman. It's a beautiful handling car. The Alfa is by far the best handling car I've ever driven. Uh, the ability to take turns and not roll back and forth is, uh, of course, a very good part of the car. But the Alfa is a far superior car. The Alfa handles better. It tracks better. You have more feeling for the road. You feel very secure. The service that goes along with the car has been excellent. Performance handling service. Alfa Romeo has three models. Berlina four-door, GTV coupe, Spider convertible. $5,700 to $6,800 POE. How does an Alfa handle? Test drive an Alfa Romeo with your dealers and see. Ah, delicioso. See the new Alfa Romeos at your Alfa dealer. He is in the yellow pages. Now that the cold weather's coming, wouldn't the Caribbean cruise be a beautiful idea? Holland America has the answer. The SS Staten Dam from Florida to five enchanting Caribbean ports. And any experienced traveler will tell you that of all the cruise ships out of Florida, there's only one SS Staten Dam. She was built for long worldwide cruising, so you can imagine the comfort and luxury she provides on a 10-day voyage. And her superb service comes with no gratuities required. From now through next March 24th, she sails from Fort Lauderdale to Curacao, St. Vincent, Martinique, St. Thomas, and La Guajira, the gateway to captivating Caracas. And getting to Florida is a breeze. With a Holland America fly cruise plan, you get a round-trip jet flight at really substantial savings. This time, do it right. See your travel agent or call Holland America Collect. Area code 212-620-5101. That's area code 212 212- 620-5101. The SS Staten Dam is registered in the Netherlands Antilles. The New York Jets play host to the Los Angeles Rams Sunday afternoon. This is Dave Herman. You can hear all the live action over WOR Radio beginning at 1235. Brought to you in part by Manufactured Hanover. It's banking the way you want it to be. That's right. That's right. It was not the end of the story. Not really. Stories never truly end. They just go on and on and on like the great glaciers of geologic time. I tasted it, yes. Defeat, humiliation. But the next day, I awoke a celebrity at the Warren G. Harding School. The guy who not only hit Harold Dill in the gut right in Miss Norton's office, but also hit Miss Snyder in the gut, right out there in the playground, right next to the swings. I fooled everybody, except one person, 
Harold did. And when Harold went out of Miss Norton's office, tears streaming down that rotten, crummy, stinking viper face, with the yellow teeth and the yellow eyes and the fur on top of the head, one little glint out of the left eye says, it ain't over. Don't let this fool you, kid. <laughs> and it wasn't over, but that's another story. Another story. Salute to Muhammad Ali and George Foreman. W.O.R. New York. You stay tuned for In Conversation.